needs, wants, and desires according to his will. Let us now go before the Lord in prayer. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, you are gracious and kind to us as your people. As we are reminded that we are adopted as children in your home, we have been given the great privilege of the, uh, the great privilege and opportunity to ask of you as our Father. So as we gather asking, O Lord, we ask, O Lord, first for the civil world around us, the common sphere, according to man. We pray, O Lord, for those who work in the public sector or public service or those who are elected. We think of those perhaps also who are a part of our fire departments, our police, our care and health. We pray, O Lord, for our frontline workers in this regard, that you, O Lord, would continue to use them to protect us to in, in many ways to uphold justice in our land. We pray, O Lord, that you would bless these workers, that you would give them integrity and discernment as they serve as common stewards within our own, uh, within our own communities, but also society itself. We pray, O Lord, that you would bless them, not only with physical care for us, but also, O Lord, with true spiritual understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We pray also, O Lord, for mission. We think of the Stangheli family who serve in Norway as they plant churches there. We pray, O Lord, that you continue to bless them in their ministry, that you would be gracious to them, and that those who are in Norway who hear the gospel, O Lord, would have their hearts softened to hear it well, so much so that they would abandon their former lives and cling to Christ. And we pray, O Lord, that you use this family and the churches that they serve to this end. May, O Lord there be a great abundance of evangelical churches in Norway. And may you use, O oh Lord, the family that we pray for often to bless this country. We also pray, O oh Lord, for the lost. We think those today, not only merely who are lost in Norway, but also those who are lost on the continent of Asia. We pray, O oh Lord, for the Chinese Presbyterian Church and their various seminaries who are underground we pray, O oh Lord, that you would bless this ministry and that the Chinese people would hear the true gospel, not a gospel, O oh Lord, that is filtered through the eyes of the Communist Party there, but the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would raise up men who lead house churches well, lead in such a courageous manner, even with perhaps the, pet, the threat of penalty and even death. We pray, O oh Lord, that you bless the church of China and that you bless the Presbyterian Church there, even as many professors from Reform Seminary travel there abroad yearly to train their ministers. We pray, O oh Lord, for gospel transformation throughout all of the society of China, but all on the continent of Asia as well. May your gospel go forth, O oh Lord, to the ends of the earth, and may we see that fruit in the conversion of the Chinese people. We pray also, O oh Lord, for our own congregation, we think of the adults who sit under various ministries week in and week out, whether that be the preaching of the word that will happen in just a moment or in our adult Sunday school class. We pray for our adults that they would continue to conform themselves to the patterns laid out by Christ and his scripture. May by their witness, the children and youth of this congregation see a good witness and testimony of Christ, of a life dedicated to Christ of a life that is lowered, a life that seeks to honor you with all that we are. We pray, O oh Lord, that our adult ministry would continue to flourish. We thank you, O oh Lord, 
for the teaching that we've had in Daniel from ruling elder Rogers. We pray, O Lord, that you bless him for all the work he has done. Even as we transition to the book of Exodus, we pray that you bless Mitchell in this endeavor. Be with all of our adults, O Lord, as they continue to seek to hunger for your word. Create in us a true hunger for it. But we also pray, O Lord, for those who are in need. We continue to lift up Joanne. We thank you, O Lord, for the relative good news of her continued healing. We pray, O Lord, that that would continue, that the wound that they are caring for would continue to heal well, so well, that, O Lord, there will not be any more intervention needed. We pray, O Lord, for Dan as he continues to minister and care to his wife. We pray, O Lord, that you continue to encourage him. And we thank you, O Lord, for the reports that we have heard, even from him. We thank you for the healing that we have seen so far in Joanne. May it be so that she returns quickly among us, fully healed and ready to worship you publicly. And in that same manner, O Lord, we pray for Virgil. We pray that you'd continue to be gracious to him, that even as he is in hospice care now, that that hospice care would be received well. As he receives visitors, O Lord, may he again and again and again be reminded of the gospel through our various interactions with him. O Lord, we are reminded that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we know that Virgil, more than anything, either wants to be here on Sunday worshiping you or to be absent from his body as he worships you in eternity in your heavens. We pray, O Lord, that you'd be gracious to this dear saint, that you'd grant him reprieve and care, even now as he awaits to see you. We pray all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Our sermon text this morning is found in the Gospel of Luke. I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 5 with me. Last week we saw the power and authority of the Word of Christ that comes from His mouth. Oftentimes when we're reading the New Testament, we wonder what sort of rituals is Jesus doing in order to produce all of these magnificent signs. We see him heal the sick. We see him cast out the demon. We see him do all sorts of miraculous things. And we wonder what is the sort of recipe that is needed for that to happen. And what we learn over and over again in the Gospel of Luke, that there is no recipe but the word of Christ himself. It is by Christ's word we see people transformed. We saw that last week, but we will continue to see that today. He, by his word, has the power and authority to restore all things. But what we see today, as we funnel in in chapter 5, is not mere healing, but we see calling. We see the effects of those who have been transformed by Christ, now called to ministry in Christ. We see Jesus calling his first disciples. Simon first, but also those who are serving alongside him as fishermen. We see, perhaps, a shattered vessel, someone not prepared or even adequate to be maybe a first disciple of Christ, maybe an insignificant tool as we see Peter confess his own sins. What we'll learn today is that Jesus uses maybe the least ideal tools for expanding his gospel on the earth today. Stand then as we hear from Luke chapter 5, picking up in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, 
He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, who is Peter, put, on, put out into the deep and let down your net for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But then Simon Peter saw it. He fell down at, his, at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinner, a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so they were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, for now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. I personally love recruiting people to a cause. It is something that I desire probably more than anything in this life. It's kind of a hobby at this point. And it's mostly not spiritual things, unfortunately. I just love for other people to enjoy the things that I myself enjoy. You'll see this from time to time. Perhaps you'll see me try to convert you from your black stones to, your pellet, to, to my own and much greater pellet smoker. Perhaps I will try to make you trade those awful, those god-awful rollerball pens that you have in your pocket, a dime a dozen, for the much more esteemed fountain pen. Perhaps you have a car and that is just totally and wholly insufficient for any man who needs a truck. I love recruiting people to causes. I want you to enjoy the things that I enjoy because I have the best tastes. I love recruiting. But someone else, as we see in this gospel, loves recruiting for a much more pious purpose. Jesus, as we see in this passage, seeks to recruit men. He seeks to recruit men for his cause to bring the gospel that he has preached to the ends of the earth. We have seen that gospel over and over again after Jesus' birth and commissioning, that he has come to bring good news to those who are poor, poor in spirit, those who are weak, those who are imprisoned. And part of that bringing the gospel to the world is the inclusion of raising up men and women to assist him in that very call. And that's what he does here. He calls Peter, Simon, and the group with him there to preach the gospel, that same gospel, to the ends of the earth. Peter, in this passage, has a true Isaiah 6 experience, as we heard. We heard it both in Isaiah 6 and then repeated here. He senses his own unworthiness as he comes in contact with the true and living God. He senses God's holiness in Christ. And what does he say? I am a sinful man. Depart from me. I cannot bear to be in your presence. Just like Isaiah before him. We too 
might have experiences like that as the Lord calls us. Perhaps you feel like Simon this morning. Perhaps you sense your own unworthiness. Perhaps as Jesus calls and enlists you in his army to bring his gospel to the ends of the earth, you might say, Jesus, I am unworthy. You might say, Jesus, I am unqualified. Jesus, isn't there anyone better than I? Maybe you're like Peter this morning. You sense the burden of guilt as you see your Savior, and you sense your own shame, and you say, there has to be someone better than me. Maybe you say those same words as Peter. Depart from me. For I am a sinner, O Lord. Well, what I want you to get today is that as you accept Jesus' gospel, you are enlisted in his service. No matter how great or small you think you are, you all are enlisted in his service. And so there are three ideas of those who are enlisted in his service that we must take away. When Jesus seeks you, the first thing I want you to know is you must listen. You must Listen, when you accept the gospel, you must learn to listen. That's what we see in the first seven verses here. Jesus is continuing his ministry of preaching the gospel, and crowds are starting to come around him, so much so that they are backing him to the Sea of Galilee. The gospel is being received. They are presenting. They want to hear the word. They are hungry. The growing crowd is hungry to what? To listen. They want to hear this good news. They want to see and have a taste of the kingdom to come as they see and experience the healings that Jesus is bringing. The crowd gathers to listen, but they are not the only listeners in this text. You see, as Jesus is back to that sea, that there are fishermen, the great disciples that we know, who also need and are called to listen. In verse 2, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets, getting into the boats, which was Simon's. He asked them to put out a little from the land, and he sat and taught the people from the boat. You see, there were also fishermen, the ones that, who Jesus would call in his inner circle who would have to listen to him. The logistics here is, are that Jesus had better acoustics on the sea. You see, it was hard for people to hear. The voice didn't carry on the land as well. And so Jesus thought, well, I can create my own amphitheater by being just brought out a little from the land. And so he calls over Peter and says, let me get on your boat that I might teach. This is an in a hindrance to Peter. Peter's trying to work. He's trying to clean up. It's early in the morning. The sun is rising. They had worked as good fishermen do before sun comes up, and they have tried to catch fish. They are cleaning up, preparing to depart or to be done with their job for the day. And Jesus hinders them, says, Come over here, Simon. I know you have work to do, but I have work to do as well. And he preaches. These boats at that time were no larger than perhaps your pontoon boat. They can fit maybe eight to ten people at most. Drawn out just enough for the people to hear him well as he sat and taught the word. Just imagine the scene. As Peter and the Lord sit in this boat, Jesus is teaching all who are at the beachside. It must have been such an experience that just oozed, oozed with sentimentality. Sitting on the beach, hearing the Savior teach. Peter 
would have a problem, though, with listening. As you would jump down to verse 4, you see that as Jesus had finished speaking, he told Simon, put out the boat to the deep and let your nets down for a catch. This request is both, perhaps as Peter would hear it, unhelpful, insensitive, and irrational. It is daybreak. The sun is out, and they are getting words of advice on fishing from Jesus, who is their rabbi. Perhaps you would be slow to hear advice from me in a field that is not my field. If I tried, perhaps for all you guys that work in the aerospace industry, tried to give you advice on engineering at Boeing or NASA, you would be slow to heed my advice. And you probably would be right. And so think of how these master fishermen, they know when to go out, they know when to come in. Now is a time to come in. It is sunny outside. That fishing net in the deep would be seen by all of the fish. It would have been a worthless endeavor. But it would also be perhaps an insensitive request. They had cleaned up their nets. They are ready to go in and to rest. And now we have to make our nets dirty again. Not only that, after we are done doing this hopeless endeavor that the Savior has asked us to do, we would have to then clean the nets again. Then we would go in. We would be behind by hours. Before you know it, I'd have to be at work again. I might as well just do a double shift and just continue working into the night. It was an insensitive request by outward means. It was a difficult one. And that's why Simon answers with with just a, a bless your heart kind of answer. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the net. There is just a minor pushback. Jesus, it's not time. Those fish are not going to, they didn't like the nets when there was no sun. They're certainly not going to like the nets now that the sun has risen. But we'll do it because you are the rabbi. You know, you might do that for your pastor from time to time, right? You're like, that's a rational pastor. But for you, we, we will, I will concede. And they do concede. I can empathize with Peter. You probably can too. I remember working at Buffalo Wild Wings as I cleaned up the shop at night. You always started on the closing shifts there. And it was always of great cumbersome nature at 11.30 at night when you've done, cleaned the fryers, you clean the grease out, scrub those 350 degree fryers bare hands. You've cleaned all of the buckets that, that you shake the wings in. You've cried because of the sauce getting in your eyes and they're on the drying rack. And then at 11.30, someone comes in for an order. You have the whole kitchen broken down. You're scrubbing the floors to get all the grease and somebody has to have their midnight chicken fix. And I always, I can empathize with Peter. Like, are you kidding me? I was ready to go home at 12.30 and now I'm going to be here till 3.30 because I got to break everything back out. I got to make the fryers dirty again. Then I'll have to restart the cleaning process. It's almost irrational what Jesus asks. But what we'll see in verse 6 is that Jesus is confident in his command. When the words that are used here when Jesus says go out and lay your nets is the confidence. He's 100% confident in the Greek. He knows. He says it as a matter of fact. When you lay out those nets, you will catch fish. I'm sure this puzzled the fishermen who think that there's no way 
that there will be fish in this net. Perhaps there's intrigue. Like, let's just show him. Let's, I am curious. There's no way. How is he so confident? But what happens in verse 6? Though they were reluctant, as they listened, when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. These are masterful nets. So many fish that were brought in. Could use some, perhaps some mannerisms from, from our former presidents. It was huge. It was great. It was the greatest amount of fish that the world has ever seen drawn into these boats. So much so that the boats began to sink and the nets began to break. They had such a problem that another boat had to come alongside to just carry the load, and even that load started to sink. Peter, on this day, would have never seen a load like this brought in a fish, and he would never see it again outside of the passage that we read in John. Only when the Savior is there does this miracle take place. But notice the listening ear. It was like a salmon run. When those who listen, they are blessed by our Savior. They are blessed. The fishermen are blessed. It is a good reminder for us here today. We are called to be listeners. When we are enlisted in the Lord's service, the first thing we must do is we must listen. Even when it seems perhaps foolish, as foolish as these fishermen would have thought at the time. You know, in our own day and age, listening to God seems kind of foolish. We have a book that is over 2,000 years old, collective, and it seems so backwards that Christians would subscribe to this, that we call this the true and living Word of God. We see it as folly in the world. You all know that. But even at this time, the words of Christ seem foolish. It seems foolish to the broader society. It seemed foolish to these fishermen as they heard it. It seemed foolish. And so perhaps you might be a backwards Christian here today, especially when you compare us to our broader culture. But the good news is those who believed in Christ 2,000 years ago were also backwards. There's not much difference. And so the call here and the command by Jesus is to listen to him. Because even when he aggravates, even if it seems that his requests are out of the norm, insensitive, irrational, he brings about his purposes by his word. And so we are called to listen to the word. We are called to draw in the word as we see it here. When, Jesus, when you accept the gospel, you are enlisted into his service. And when Jesus seeks, first you must listen. Second, when Jesus seeks, you must repent. That's what we see from the apostle Peter in verse 8 through 10. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, what? Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. After they had brought in all these fish, they, they had to row out there in order to catch the fish. These men are tired. They have already worked a full day. Everyone is catching their breath. And what does Peter do? Probably heaping, heaving trying to catch his breath, he falls to his knees and says, depart from me for I am a sinful man. He recognizes the miracle that is before him. Under no normal circumstance should they have brought in any fish, let alone more fish to sink their boat. 
He recognizes who he stands before. That this one who says, who I call rabbi, is not merely a rabbi, but the first declaration of Jesus being Lord is here. Not only is Jesus a good teacher, but he is Lord. And Peter recognizes that. That's why he falls on his face like Moses falls at the burning bush. Because he recognizes that he is in the presence of a truly holy God. Lord. Reminded of the psalm, the Lord says to my Lord, David's Lord. Jesus is now being recognized as that Lord. And when we come into contact with Jesus, recognizing him as our Lord, what can we do but fall to our knees? John Calvin, in his opening part of the Institutes of the Christian Religion, famously says, no one ever attains a clear knowledge of self unless he has first gazed upon the Lord's face. When you come before the Lord Jesus Christ, when you see who he is, who he truly is, you begin to sense yourself. And that sensing of self is a sense of sin. Peter senses it all too well as he says, on his feet, you are the Lord and I am the sinner. You must repent. That's what Peter is doing here. He is repenting. He is saying, I am not worthy of being in your presence. Just like Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah before him, so too you stand before a holy God even today. And you must have the same temperament and demeanor. Even if the, the chief apostle here, Peter himself, recognizes his own inability to come before the Lord, perhaps we should as well. We should sense our burden of sin and we should come to the Lord in repentance. But notice this is sometimes a group effort. You know, we are not called to repent in our own melancholy alone in our prayer closets, but look at verse 9. There is a group together for he and all who were with him were astonished to catch the fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. All around witnessed Peter bow, and they were astonished and amazed. We see the work of the church in the people of God. Yes, they listen, but they all are astonished, and they come with repentant hearts. They see Peter. They see Peter as the Lord receives them. Just this ordinary fisherman be received by Christ. I, I sometimes think that the Lord would use the best tools. You, you look around, there are certainly better tools than your current pastor to preach the gospel. You might think that even today. There seems to be better tools. You might think of that of yourselves. Lord, there are much better people to evangelize. There are much better people to witness. There are much better thoughts to be had than the thoughts that I can have. Maybe you think of yourself lowly. I, as most men in here, like buying power tools. And when I, I first got married, I decided to buy into the DeWalt ecosystem. It, it's a good ecosystem. But the, the problem is, is once you buy the batteries, you just stuck. And I sometimes loathe having to buy the premium for a DeWalt tool. But they all work very well. There's no complaints on the functionality, just the price. They squeeze me for everything. They are quality tools. And I would expect that 
the Lord himself would choose quality tools like that. The DeWalt's, the Milwaukee's, the Snap-ons of the world. Well, the Lord would most certainly choose them. But what we learn in the gospel, what we learn here in Luke chapter 5, is that our God frequently shops at Harbor Freight. You are a bunch of Harbor Freight Christians. You know, Harbor Freight tools you buy just to throw away. Yes, I need this wrench one, and I'll probably bolt it to something because it's so unworthy. A bunch of harbor freights. Peter is like that, and so are you. You think, you just think that you would choose a better quality, but he chooses the most common people. Peter, in his various writings in the New Testament, you can tell they are written by him because of how grammatically terrible they are. They are almost... They are more difficult than the book of Hebrews in some regards just because of how terrible the grammar is. He was not learned. Perhaps you aren't either. And the Lord still chooses to use you and to use me. Because the parameter for God's choosing is not the quality of the man, but the man's heart as it relates to repentance. Jesus uses Peter because Peter is not perfect. And in that imperfection, we see the heart of Peter as he lowers himself. You know, Jesus doesn't vet us according to our talents or expertise. Instead, he recruits us even though we are not tried, tested, or true. Peter will have shaky spots in his life and ministry. We see that when Jesus is being carted before the Sanhedrin, found guilty, and what does Peter do? You all know it. He denies the Savior three times. But even after, Peter would not be the perfect apostle, as Paul himself, who would be the Johnny-come-lately, has to rebuke Peter. He rebukes Peter a few times, and Peter has to concede, so much so in those poorly written epistles that Peter himself says, you should read Paul. He's better on this than I. He's not perfect. He has some shaky spots, and I'm sure you do too. And so the remedy is not to merely recede away to not be used by Christ, but to come with a repentant heart. The last thing I want you to know, though, is when Jesus seeks, you must leave it all behind. The most difficult part of the text, in verse 10 again, but the second half, Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catchers of men. And, they, and when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and they followed him. They must leave it all behind. Why did Jesus give them the greatest haul that they've ever had? It was not to sell it and to feed their families. It was to call them to ministry. Jesus was waiting. He knew the punchline at the end of this. He knew what he was going to say. You are no longer to be fishermen. You are to be fisher of men, a play on words. You will no longer come out every morning in order to fish tirelessly to make ends meet. You will now serve me and fish for men. The image here is not that they would catch and kill all the people that they would go to catch. Perhaps that's what the image of being a fisherman is. They draw on those fish. Why? Not to catch and release, but they draw them in to kill them and to eat them. Jesus is not telling Peter to do that. Now, do not go out and pillage the countryside and eat your, your, your conquered foes. No, no, no. No, he, he, he is calling the people, these dear fishermen, to go out and to save the fish. Out to the deep. The deep, 
sea that they had already fished in is an emblem, an image of the unknown, of chaos, of sin. Go out into the deep and bring my gospel to them. Catch these people and bring them to shore so that they might see everlasting life. Perfectly, maybe not the perfect illustration when we think of it in the most logical sense, but they are to catch men and they are to release them in the heavenly domain. One of my favorite and great writers, Thomas Boston, one of the greatest, uh, one of the greatest Puritans, a great preacher at that, has some really good books on preaching, but he comments this on this passage. He says, Seeing I am called out to preach this everlasting gospel, it is my duty to endeavor, and it is my desire to be a fisher of men. But alas, I may come up with my complaints to my Lord that I have toiled in some measure and caught nothing. For anything I know as to the conversion of any one soul, I fear, I may say, I have almost spent my strength in vain and my labor for naught, for Israel has not been gathered. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt that in the faith? I know I felt that as a pastor. Thomas Boston was a great preacher. A great preacher. Would be one of the greatest preachers of our own age. He wonders his own efficiency and, effect, and his effect. Why? Because as any preacher and any Christian knows, it's not upon us and our gifting that draws people in, but there is that great calling that we must leave it all behind. Now you might wonder, what does it mean to leave it all behind? Is this to mean that I'm to leave my daily vocation? Am I to leave my great job? May I, should I start being an itinerant preacher and start traveling the countryside? No, I don't think that's what it's communicating. I, I, what, what is being communicated here is that these fishermen are leaving their livelihoods for Christ. They are willing to give it all. They are willing to give everything that they have and are for Christ. We don't get to know whether they sell their boats and nets in order to recoup the costs for this great endeavor. We don't even hear if they sell that massive amount of fish. All we get is the immediacy of them leaving. They catch the greatest catch in their entire lives, and we don't hear what they do with it. Instead, in verse 11, it says they bring their boats to land and they leave everything. The image that is given to me when I read that is they leave the fish. Because that's not what's important. They must give it all for their Savior. And that is the call here for you too. You must be willing to leave it all behind. Your former life, your former desires, your former passions, your love perhaps for pellet smokers, for fountain pens, for trucks. You must give it all. Not necessarily perhaps physically, but you must have that open hand before the Lord saying, take it all in service for Christ. That is what is communicated to us. We are the servants of the Lord as Peter is the servant of the Lord. We must be willing to give all that we are to him. What things do you clutch tightly in your life? Those are the things that the Lord asks you to loosen your grip. I am sure Peter had one of the nicest shipping vessels in all of Galilee. I mean, this was an area that was known for fishing. There were 20 types of fish in that sea. Everyone and their mother had a fishing enterprise. It was kind of like in the turn of the 2010s when everyone was opening a microbrewery. Everyone had to open their own pub. Now they're all gone, but nevertheless, 
It was a, a popular adventure, adventure, and yet they are called to give it all up. They're nice fishing vessels in order to serve Christ. Have the open hand when you come before your Savior. That is what it means to be a Christian, not holding all of your stuff so tightly that it cannot be moved. Your homes, your jobs, your nice and enjoyable hobbies. Open the hand. When you accept Jesus Christ, you're enlisted into his service. When he seeks you, you must listen, you must repent, and you must be willing to leave it all behind. Well, there are three types of people, perhaps even more, in this congregation this morning. There is the growing Christian, those who believe themselves to be growing. There seems to be no problems in the faith. You're growing well. Well, this sermon for you is a call to re-enlist, to re-up, to remind yourselves that you are in Christ's service. Re-up your devotion regularly and routinely. Serve another tour. For though the struggling Christian, you might be like Peter here today. You might say, oh, I am a sinner. Of what good am I to the kingdom? Well, this passage is an encouragement for you because Peter becomes an apostle in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the leading pastors in Jerusalem, a man who had no gifting in preaching or teaching or even writing, is given great position and pedigree. This passage is for you. The gospel isn't merely for smart and gifted people. It's for you. You must remember that. And so if you're discouraged here today in your walk with Christ, remember that Jesus chooses Peter, and so he chooses you. But for the non-Christian, maybe you have yet to be recruited. This is good news for you here today. You've heard the words of Christ from this passage. And in those words, you have that great opportunity like Peter to sense the perfection of Christ. And in that perfection, being utterly destroyed. Like perhaps Pilgrim in Pilgrim's Progress, being destroyed by his own burden of sin. All you can do now today is to go on your knees and call to Christ himself. Say, I am a sinner, O Lord. Call upon him. Do not waste this moment today. Do not waste it, for there may not be another one tomorrow. Hear and see the perfect Christ and come confessing to him. We are reminded of these great lyrics, perhaps, as we are called to pray in the psalm or hymn that we're about to sing. What a friend that we all have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything then to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because... We do not carry everything to God in prayer. Whether growing Christian, whether teetering Christian or non-Christian, let us go before our God in prayer. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we confess our sins yet again to you. Be gracious to us as we call upon you and our precious Savior. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.